Hello, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. And today I wanna to ask you a question. Are you carrying around any regrets? Hey guys, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church in beautiful Powell River, British Columbia. And uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Can you believe it? We are actually gonna be stepping into our very last sermon in the Gospel of John series. We started this series all the way back January, 2021. And so thank you for taking the journey with us. It feels like it's gone pretty quickly, um, but we kind of take this moment as we walk through John's eyewitness account as he's had, he witnessed it himself, much of what he writes, and he writes it so that generations beyond him can have eyewitness accounts of Jesus, what Jesus did in this world, and, and more importantly, who Jesus was. And uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how John, his purpose in writing this was to convince us that Jesus is the Christ, and that by being convinced of that, we can have life. And so this is kind of what he is doing. But the question I want to ask you, and I asked you at the very top, is do you carry any regrets with you? Do you carry regrets? Um, there's, there's almost nothing worse than carrying around regrets. Things of the past that you, you can't change anymore. Um, and things that maybe they weigh on you. They're a burden that we, we needlessly carry around. Now, for some of you, maybe you say, no, I don't carry regrets. Part of that could be maybe a philosophy of life you have. Part of that could be, You've discovered something profound in Jesus that he, uh, he walks us through. And for others of you, though, maybe you do. Maybe you carry regrets. You have these kind of burdens that you carry around in the day-to-day. -day. And whenever life kind of reminds you of those moments of your past, uh, they bring pain and they kind of renew the pain and the shame and the regret. And... These are some things. So today I really want to hope, to, I, I hope to really just give you and encourage you and speak to a truth from God's word that kind of changes everything as it relates to our regrets. So let's jump into our passage really quickly. We're in John 21, the last chapter, and we're going to be finishing it out today. So we're going to start verse 15. But before we do that, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is with us. No matter where we are watching this, Lord, you are uh, for those seeking truth, for those that are exploring faith, those that want to grow more and more to look like Jesus, Lord, you're with us and you're pursuing us and you're revealing truth to us. So Lord, as we go through this moment today, would you reveal truth to our hearts? Take us on this journey, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you need a Bible, myevangel.church forward slash Bible. If you just visit that website, uh, we would love to help just resource you and get a Bible in your hands so you can follow along with us. But here we go. John Chapter 21, starting verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? 
And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, there is so much nuance going on here. There, <laughs> so you're going to have to forgive me because to really kind of appreciate what's happening here, we have to kind of get into the nitty gritty of language and um, kind of look at some of the details of this passage. And so we are going to kind of get lost in the weeds for a moment so that we can uh, fully appreciate what is happening here because it's so powerful and we don't want to miss it. The first thing I want you to notice is that Jesus refers to Peter by his old name. If you recall, Jesus gave Peter the name Peter. His name was Simon previous. And now Jesus gave him the name Peter, which means the rock. But notice here, Jesus is not referring to him as Peter. He's referring to him as Simon. And there's maybe something of humility that Jesus is trying to teach Peter in this moment by referring to him by his old name. Now, the next place of nuance here is, is going to be in the Greek language. So if you're reading from the NIV, I read from the ESV, but if you're reading in the NIV, for instance, you'll see that the first ten, two times that Jesus asks, do you love me? It, the NIV says, do you truly love me? And then Peter's response is, Lord, you know that I love you. Notice the difference. Truly love me. And then Peter's response, I love you. Now, to understand this, we need to understand kind of the Greek language and what John wrote as he's kind of playing this out for us. Um, in Jesus' moment of asking, do you love me? He's using the word agape. Do you agape me? Now, agape is God's kind of love. It is perfect love. It is altruistic. It is not self-seeking. It's patient. It's kind. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's all of those things. And so Jesus is asking Peter, do you agape me? Like unrestricted, unrestrained, unrelenting, selfless, perfect love. Do you agape me? And Peter's response is not I agape you. Rather, it's I phileo you. In the Greek language, there's multiple words for love. They brought different descriptions. Phileo was like a human kind of brotherly love. And so Jesus asks, do you agape me? And Peter's response is, I phileo you. I love you with a brotherly love. I love you with this human kind of love. Now, I don't, I don't know if you're noticing this, but it seems like Peter has learned a level of humility here. He, he's not making grand statements as he had in the past, right? Like there's these moments where he would say, I will die for you. I will follow you anywhere. I will put my life on the line for you. All these things. And what happened? He ended up not doing those things. In fact, he ends up denying Jesus. And so here in this moment, as Jesus refers to him as Simon, his old name, as he asks, do you agape me? Do you love me with perfection, with unrelenting, selfless, uh, abandoned love? And, and Peter's response, no, I phileo you. I, I love you with the best I have, this human love, this brotherly love. And there seems to be this kind of humility that Peter has. And so he asks over and over and over again, do you truly love me? Do you agape me? And Peter's response is, I phileo you, until the third time. 
And if you notice in the Greek language, and even in the NIV, if you're reading the NIV, you'll see the third time Jesus asks, do you, not truly, do you love me? He uses the same word that Peter is responding with. Do you phileo me? And Peter responds, I phileo you. And why, why, why is this? Now, can I just say, I'm going to preface this by saying, uh, perhaps one day we'll get to heaven and Jesus is going to look at me and go, man, you're reading into that a lot. Uh, so I, I want to be careful not to like make like definitive statements here, but I have suspicions. I have uh, my theories, as it were. Um, but can I just say, I suspect that Jesus was testing Peter in his pride. T P Jesus was testing Peter in his pride. Um, he wanted to see if Jesus Peter was going to stick to his guns as he responds with this kind of... Um, I phileo you. I love you with the best that I can give you because I am just a man. I am just human. I am just a person. I'm not you. And, and the only source really truly of agape love is Christ, is God. He's the only one who, who can truly consistently express agape love. We, in our humanness and our brokenness and our frailty, we don't have the capacity for perhaps moments, but not consistent, not consistent agape, no strings, unrelenting, unselfish, selfless kind of love. We always have moments of weakness in our expressions of love. And so I think that Jesus is testing Peter. And, and, and then Jesus finally, he like, and the third time he asks, he goes, no, okay, do you phileo me? And, and he makes a concession so that Peter can with all confidence say, Lord, I, you know, you truly, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. You know I love you with everything that I can muster. Peter seems to be a bit of a different man here. Um, the, the regrets that he carry, the, the, the regrets that he carries, they kind of changed him. They've changed the way in which he's interacting with Jesus. He's, they've changed... The, he's a little slower to speak, a little slower to make grand gestures and grand statements. Now, I think there's also this, this level of he carries these regrets. He carries the regret and perhaps even he, he feels as though he's disqualified from the calling that Jesus has given the disciples because of his denials of the past. Notice how many times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? How many times? He asked three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus before he went to the cross? He denied him three times. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus qualifies the disqualified. Jesus qualifies the disqualified. Where Peter had declared three statements of denial, Jesus now leads him in three statements of love towards him. This is really, this is a restoration of Peter. This is a moment when Peter has the opportunity to lift off the regrets that he's been carrying since his denials. But I want you to notice that this was not done in an isolated vacuum. This was done with the other disciples witnessing it. There's more than just Jesus 
restoring Peter and relationship between him and Peter, he is restoring Peter's credibility among the disciples themselves as well. These disciples, these six other disciples that are here are going to be witnesses of this restoration of Peter in relationship with Jesus, but also in his commissioning, in his calling. Do you truly love me? And Peter's response, you know that I love you. And then what does Jesus say? He, the first time he says, then feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Then, then feed my lambs. Feed those that are new to faith in the church. This is what I'm calling you to. This is what I'm qualifying you for. Not just relationship with me, but to purpose of serving the church, of seeing new believers come into the church. Feed them. Feed them the word. Feed them the truth. Feed them everything you know about me and my teachings in this world. Do you love me? The second time, Peter says, you know that I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. Continue to feed. As the church matures, as it grows, as, as the people move from being new believers into being more mature, feed them. Keep them on the straight and narrow. Remind them of the truth. Shepherd my flock. And then finally, the third time, do you love me? Lord, you know, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. And Jesus doesn't just restore Peter's relationship. He restores his calling. He restores the commissioning. He restores the gifting that he has placed in Peter for such a time as this. Many of you know perhaps my journey. If you don't, that's okay. Um, I'm not going to get a ton of detail today, but if you look into our past archives, you can kind of see uh, the story kind of play out in the past. But um, in my early 20s, God saw fit to, to release me and give me opportunity to pastor in a local church. And at that time, I, I burnt the candle at both ends. I, I was not wise in how I walked out my gifting. I was not wise in the way that I managed my time and my energies. And I got to a place of brokenness and I got to a place where I self-medicated with things that disqualified me from ministry. And, and by God's grace, God walked me with other pastors and other people to restore me to relationship, to restore me in that calling. But at that point in my life, my mid-20s, by my mid-20s, I had decided I'm done. I can't, I can't do this. I felt shame. I felt regret. I felt, um, though I had been restored, I felt like condemned. And I know, like, you're, you're going to tell me, well, Lucas, that's not, there is no condemnation. Yeah, I get that. I get it. It's easy to say, guys. It's easy to say. And, and so I want to be very careful when I preach the word to you as well. It's easy to say. It's another thing to be convinced by the Spirit. And so it took a season for me where I left ministry and I walked away from the calling and I dragged my family away and we did our own kind of thing. But then God saw fit to restore. And so this moment for Peter, I get this. I get this with all of my heart. This restoration, not just a relationship, though that's so key and so important. That's the main thing. But also this restoration 
to being qualified, though I felt disqualified, being qualified to continue to walk in the calling God had placed in my heart and in my life. The opening of this passage has Jesus asking Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Now there's two possibilities of kind of like what Jesus is asking here. The first possibility is this. Perhaps he, he waves to the other disciples sitting around the breakfast fire. And he says, do you love me more than these guys? Do you love me more than they do? And perhaps this is what Jesus meant. And Peter's response is one of humility. No, Lord, you know what? In the past, I might have said, I love you more than all the other guys. But I'm not going to say that now. I, I fillet you. I love with the best that I can muster, the best that I can do. Phileo, human, brotherly love. But there is an alternative to what Jesus perhaps is asking here. Do you love me more than these? And, and I want you to picture the scene at that moment. The ships, the boats, the fishing boats would have been dragged up on shore. The nets would have been out. The fish, the catch, the 153 large fish would have been there. The nets strewn about. Um, and perhaps he waved to Peter's former life. You know, basically the summary of his former life as a fisherman, his vocation. And perhaps he waved to this former life. He said, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than your vocation? Do you love me more than your old way of life? And if, if this is the case, I can relate to that too. Because I don't know what your story is. I, I don't even, I don't know what kinds of calling God has placed on your life. And we're not all called to be shepherds, even among the disciples. Um, Peter is called to be a shepherd in the church. 100%. But John, the one who wrote this, he was called to be a witness. He was called to witness and to write down, and he was called to have a revelation of what was to come and write that down for the sake of the church. Paul, who later comes on the scene, I mean, he was called to go out and plant churches all over the known world. Even among the disciples, they had different callings. But here's the deal. You're all, we're all, in Christ Jesus, we're all called to something. And here's the encouragement today. Here, here's what you need to hear. Your disqualification of the past, whatever it may be, is not permanent. It's not permanent. Your shame is not permanent. The past does not dictate your future. It just doesn't. Because Jesus qualifies the disqualified. He qualifies the disqualified by his work in your life. Love God. Ask for his forgiveness. And walk boldly in your calling. But here's the warning now. Here's the warning. This love, this calling, this purpose, it will cost you something. It will cost you something in this life. Now, you have everything to gain. The, the, the price you pay for it will pale. It'll be nothing in comparison to what you have to gain in eternity. But it will cost you something in this life. Verse 18. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And here's where John adds in parentheses. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. 
And after saying this, he said to him, follow me, follow me. Now, this moment, as John wants to make abundantly clear, is not about just growing old and having people have to dress you and take you to places you don't want to. No, this is a very specific saying. In the first century, the stretching out of your arms would have been associated to being stretched out by the soldiers to the crossbeam and tied to the crossbeam of a cross. So it had a very specific language and John wants to make abundantly clear. Jesus is telling Peter, this is what's going to happen to you if you follow me. I want you to consider that. Peter got an insight into his future from Jesus himself. Now we have very good historical evidence that Peter was eventually martyred for his faith being executed most likely by the emperor Nero. And the calling and the commissioning, it cost him his life. The same man who had denied Jesus to a girl, a, a servant girl in the gate, keeping the gate of a courtyard at the high priest's house, that same guy that denied Jesus to her now has stood up and has proclaimed the gospel with such boldness that he's sentenced to death by an emperor. Like there is such a change in Peter, it's unbelievable. But after all of this, Jesus says two simple words of recommissioning. He says, Peter, follow me, follow me. And the question set before Peter was, now that you know your fate, now that you know what is to come, will you follow me? Have you ever said yes to something that became kind of maybe harder or more painful than you expected it to be? You know, whether it was like uh, <clears throat> being a part of a committee or, or stepping into some kind of role, then you said yes to it. And in your mind's eye, you're like, oh, this won't be too bad. This will be easy. I'm, I'm qualified for this. I can do this. And all of a sudden that thing just turns sideways on you and upside down on you. And you're like, why in the world? Right? In retrospect, if I had known, we say things like this, if I had known what I was getting into, I never would have said yes. I want you to consider the power of Peter's yes in this moment. Because Jesus has told him full well what he's getting into. And yet, Peter says yes. Peter, for another three decades after this, ministers to the church, shepherds the church with this hanging over his head, the cost that he is going to ultimately pay. He was knowing what was coming and he said yes to following Jesus. And the power of that testimony is the yes that we give to Jesus despite what we know it will cost us to follow him. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder why the word of God is so very like blunt and open about the cost of following. Salvation is free, friends. Salvation is the work of Jesus. It's a free gift of salvation, 100%. But the following, the walking in his way, the learning to grow and look more and more like him each day in a world that is far from God um, has a cost. It has, it has some friction points. It, has, it creates tension in this world. And, and we pay that cost. And 
I think the Bible is so kind of open about that because like we, we need to count the cost of what it is to follow Jesus. But the powerful testimony of saying yes, even knowing what the cost is going to be, is unbelievable. And Peter shows us what that looks like. But this is kind of where the account now gets a little funny. This is where the account that John describes for us becomes very human. Very, very human. And let's, let's jump into the verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So this is the disciple who, whom Jesus loved, most likely John, the one who's writing this gospel. The one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So this is John who Peter had asked, hey, John, ask Jesus who the betrayer is. That was at the Last Supper. And so this is John. And then he said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, as they're walking along the beach, Peter saw him behind them. And he said to Jesus, what about this man? What about, I, Jesus has just told Peter, you're going to die for following me. And now Peter's walking. What about this man? What about John? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? What is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say that he was not to die, but that if it was my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Peter has just learned the price that he's going to pay for following Jesus. And then he looks back at John and he does the most human thing. He goes, well, what about that guy? What's the price he's going to pay? Like, what's going to happen to John? Can you just feel kind of the humanity in this moment? Uh, if you have kids uh, or you've been around kids for any amount of time, you would know that there is a high value among kids for fairness, right? Like kids just have this like desire and need for everything across the board to be perfectly fair. I recently listened to a podcast where they did a kind of a social experiment. There was a preschool and these teachers were overwhelmed because the teachers are always having to police uh, the fairness of the classroom. You know, Billy did that and Johnny did this and Susie did that. And they just can constantly getting inundated with these complaints, these tattletailing kids that were seeking justice and fairness in the classroom. So they did this little experiment. They put a phone in the classroom. It was a fun old phone that the kids would kind of be drawn to. And they called it the tattle phone. And it actually had a line and it called the person that was putting together this little experiment. And so these kids, when something would happen in the classroom, they would run to the phone and they'd pick it up and they would make their tattletale. They would tell on the kid that push them while they're outside at playtime or the kid that wouldn't trade their chocolate chip cookie for their raisin cookie. Uh, I don't blame them, by the way. Um, like these are just like all the kind of tattles that came in because these kids had such a high need for fairness. You know, when, when my kids were growing up, I kind of took it upon myself. Like I'm, I'm a horrible 
I, I'm pretty blunt with my kids because I, I want them to grow up in the real world and understand kind of the way things are. And I took kind of every opportunity that I could to teach my kids that life is not fair. And you might ask, why, why would you do that? Why would you take so much time to do that and point that out when the unfairness of life kind of hits your kids and, and hurts them and, and makes them feel angry and upset and sad and all those things? Well, here's why. Because waiting for life to be fair will only victimize you and stall you out from living to your full potential. Because you'll be waiting for something or someone or some system to come along to make it all fair. And that doesn't exist. And you will be victimized and you will be stalled waiting for something that's never going to come. And so if you're going to walk in your full potential, you need to understand that life is not fair. I don't know what Peter was hoping to hear from Jesus in this moment. You know, maybe in some weird, sick way, Peter would have been much more happy to hear Jesus go, yeah, he's going to die a brutal death too. Like, what a sick kind of, kind of moment, right? Like, if I'm going to die a brutal, I want to know that this guy here, he's, he needs to do the same thing. And instead, Peter, he gets this rebuke. His role is to simply follow Jesus wherever that may lead. The places that Jesus brings others is not your concern. If you're taking notes, write this down. You are called to your cross and not someone else's. You are called to your cross and not someone else's. John was not to live, um, you know, in some kind of weird, sick guilt because he had a long life. Peter was not to live in contempt for his brother because of the price that he was going to pay for following Jesus. And I don't know if you're here today and you entered this faith thinking that God was going to make all things fair. Uh, like, um, I hate to break it to you, but there's no name of God as we look at the scriptures that, that is the name God is fair. No, God is, God is just. God is perfect in his plan for salvation for humanity. God is perfect in pursuing the establishment of his kingdom in the world. Like these are the things that God is. Now, perhaps some of you, you feel guilty because you've had a good life. You know, you follow Jesus and the cost hasn't been exorbitant. Maybe you haven't suffered kind of the same pain that you see others around the world suffer. And maybe you feel guilty about that. But no, don't. That's your cross. That's your cross. As long as you're being faithful and obedient, that's your cross. That is what Christ is calling to you. Now, some of you, maybe you've suffered in this life and you need to guard your heart from looking at other believers and seeing the cross that they're bearing that maybe looks lighter and easier than the one you're bearing. You need to guard your heart from becoming bitter towards them. It's time that we put these things down. God is not the God of fairness as we would define fair. He is just according to his perfect holiness. He is perfect in his will. He will lead you where you need to go, not just for your sake, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. There are only two outcomes when we compare our journey of faith to another. There's only two. The first is jealousy. 
jealousy, which ultimately leads to bitterness. Or the second, as we compare to others, is pride. And that only leads to a fall. Pride comes before the fall. You are called to your cross, not someone else's. Notice that John has to clarify what Jesus actually said here. Um, the rumor from this moment began to spread amongst the disciples and the followers of Jesus that John was not going to die until Jesus returned. That is kind of what they heard as Jesus made this statement to Peter. And in fact, John did not die. Um, many of the other apostles were martyred for their faith. They were killed for their faith. John had a long life. He was one of the few disciples not martyred for their faith. But his role was to be a living witness of the life, ministry, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Jesus. And so he lived a long life. But because of this rumor, because people misunderstood what Jesus was trying to say here, Jesus was trying to make a point about not comparing one's cross to another's cross. Um, but the disciples heard, I'm going to come back and John's still going to be alive. And that's why the first generation of Christians, they truly believe that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And so as John got older and got closer to a natural death, there was a crisis in the church. Actually, when we look at scripture, we see later in the first century, a much more robust teaching around eschatology, the study of end times and the return of Jesus, because that generation began to realize that perhaps Jesus wasn't coming back in our generation. So what do we need to teach next generations about the end times, the eschatology of the church? Now, that becomes a whole nother sermon as we kind of consider the church beginning to recognize the need to look for Jesus beyond their generation. And what are the implications of that for teaching the next generation? And that's a whole nother sermon. But, but the book of John is then closed with this passage. Verse 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written? I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now, it's kind of an odd finish to the work here. Because either John is kind of referring to himself in the third person, or perhaps uh, an amanuensis. Uh, so that's someone who writes uh, as, as you dictate as you speak and verbally dictate and they write, perhaps there's an amanuensis that kind of wrote this section. But either way, it's evident that John knew what his role in the church was, to be a witness of the life of Jesus, to write it down, to witness the revelation that would be given to him later on the Isle of Patmos, as God would give him this kind of revelation of the end of days. But ultimately... At the end of the day, John's purpose, John's calling was boiled down to this, to convince us that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in that, we would have life. 
And that is what John, that was what his work was all about. And so friends, Jesus qualifies the disqualified. You are called to bear your cross and not somebody else's. And at the end of the day, uh, the faithfulness of just walking in our unique calling is all that Jesus asks of us. And so as we finish out this series, I hope that you have been convinced or even reconvinced, just doubling down that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And he came to save humanity, to restore not just relationship with God, but our purpose in this world. So God, we thank you for John. We thank you, Lord, for his eyewitness accounts. We thank you, Lord, for the time that he spent in writing this for generations to come. That, Lord, we would have a profound, uh, prolific uh, eyewitness account of your life, your ministry, your death, your burial, your resurrection, and, and all that that means for humanity. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless this series. You would bless this time, the seeds you've planted, the things you've watered in us, the things that you've convicted us of and convinced us of, the things that you're calling us to. Lord, would you give us a boldness and a courage to pick up our cross, wherever that may lead, whatever it may cost, and be obedient to your calling in our lives. And Lord, may we see the church rise up in a way that impacts the world around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless everyone. Thank you for taking this journey through John with us.